Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for the GNFCC 400 Insider. Connect, build, and grow with the Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wellstar Chamber Luncheon Series for the month of March. I'm uh, Lindsay Petrini. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Wellstar North Fulton Hospital and proud to be the 2021 Chair of the Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce. Um, thank you for joining us today for this uh, very special event. Um, we are going to go a little bit out of order today uh, where we start with our speaker and then we will have um, have our sponsors speak at the end because we want to make sure we give adequate amount of time to Dr. Cohn. So I'd like to take um, a moment to go ahead and introduce um, our, our speaker today. Um, as a reminder, you can use the Q&A um, function if you have any questions and answer, a uh, question for the Q&A, and she'll be happy to take those questions at the end. So um, it is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Amanda Cohn, uh, who currently serves as the chief, or Dr. Amanda Cohn, who uh, currently serves as the Chief Medical Officer of the National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Diseases and Executive Secretary of the Advisory Committee um, on Immunization Practices. Dr. Cohn previously served as the Deputy Director of NCIRD's Immunization Services Division. Dr. Cohn came to the CDC in 2004 as an Epidemic Intelligence Service, uh, Intelligence Service Officer she joined the meningitis and vaccine preventable diseases branch in 2006, where she focused on prevention and control. She is board certified in pediatrics and is, a, and is a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics. She obtained her medical degree from Emory University and completed a residency in pediatrics at Boston Children's Hospital and Boston Medical Center. Dr. Cohn, thank you for joining us today and happy Doctor's Day to you. For those of you who don't know, it is National Doctor's Day. So uh, we appreciate you joining us. Hey, Lindsay, Dr. Cohn is having some connection issues. So we are- I'm back. I'm back. Here we go. Sorry. Apologize, everyone. My, uh, my speaker went out. Um, so thank you so much for having me here today. Um, can we pull up the slides, please? Great. Um, so uh, I'm going to uh, start by saying that uh, speaking to um, businesses in the Georgia community is one of my favorite things to do because I'm an Atlanta native and um, I actually have to leave early today uh, in order to go get my own children vaccinated um, at a Fulton County site. So I'm uh, looking forward to that. Um, I'm going to speak today for a few minutes about uh, COVID vaccine implementation with a little bit of a focus on Georgia and businesses. Um, I'll keep this high level and, um, and spend some time answering your questions primarily. Next slide. So we have now vaccinated over 90 million um, uh, people living in the U.S. Uh, with at least one dose of COVID vaccine. And I am uh, excited and anticipating, I think sometime next week, we'll hit that 100 million person mark. Um, this means we've administered nearly 150 million doses of vaccine. Our overall coverage for uh, persons living over the age of, uh, for persons 18 years of age and over who are eligible for the vaccine 
is about 36% with one dose and 20%, so one in five uh, with two doses. But the really great news here is that we've gotten to um, in persons age 65 and older who are most likely to be hospitalized and die from COVID, we've got 72% who have received at least one dose and nearly 50% of older adults are fully vaccinated. Next slide. And this is my other favorite slide to show. What you can see here is that each week we're administering more and more doses of vaccine. Um, in the last, and, and this does take some time to um, for the doses to be entered. So we see continued increasing over time of prior days. Um, but the last couple of days, uh, weeks, we've hit uh, three million people a day on several days of the week. Uh, this is a huge uh, increase since January when we were um, uh, reaching about one point five million. We really want to increase that to over 4 million a day in order to uh, rapidly get the population vaccinated. Um, you can also see that there are days of the week where we're not vaccinating um, nearly as many individuals. And I think another way to really make progress is to do more vaccination on over the weekends and other times. Next slide. So in Georgia, we've had uh, over 3.7 million doses uh, administered, and our total doses administered is, per 100,000 individuals is uh, 34,000. So um, Georgia is definitely um, not at the top in terms of the jurisdictions that have administered the most per population, um, but opening up uh, Georgia to make everyone eligible who's age 16 years and older um, I think we'll have a um, a big impact on increasing demand and, and getting more people in the office in, in, to get vaccinated. And there's also a lot of really good work being done right now in the Georgia Department of Health around both getting through the supply, so making sure that there's not doses out there that aren't being used, finding ways to use those doses in places where they might have been um, not met with high demand, um, and there's also a lot of really good work happening in the equity space to make sure persons who are homebound, persons with intellectual or, uh, or physical disabilities, um, and other um, uh, persons um, who are also living in racial and ethnic minority communities have access to vaccine. And so um, it's always this balance of getting as many people vaccinated as possible, but also ensuring vaccine equity. And, and Georgia's really focused on both of those. Next slide. This is a little bit more information about um, Georgia. I apologize for the dogs. Um, we've administered about 83% of our doses. Um, you can also see here the number of doses by race and ethnicity. Um, and uh, the uh, and in Georgia, we are really doing um, you know, a fairly good job of reaching racial and ethnic minority communities. Uh, certainly, uh, the number of Hispanic recipients uh, statewide is not quite on par with what we're seeing nationally, um, but um, these are numbers of doses and not proportion of the population that's been vaccinated. Next slide. And these are the trends we're seeing in Georgia. As you can see, the last couple of weeks, there's been huge increases in the number of doses uh, given uh, per day, which is really great news. We want to see those uh, doses given per day go even broader. And I think two of the ways in which that's going to happen is both by increasing the vaccination workforce, 
um, and also increasing the number of sites where um, we're administering vaccines. So I anticipate over the next several weeks as supply increases that um, we'll have um, vaccines being administered in many more pharmacies, many more doctor's offices, and many other um, pop-up clinics and and mobile clinics and um, really penetrating um, all communities in Georgia. Next slide. So there are three vaccines that have received emergency use authorization from FDA. Um, and I'm sure you've all heard about all of these vaccines by now. Um, the Pfizer is licensed for six, is authorized for 16, persons 16 years of age and older. Um, and is two doses given 21 days apart. Moderna is two doses given at least 28 days apart. And the J&J is uh, one dose. Um, all three vaccines were tested in tens of thousands of individuals. Um, they have proven effective at preventing serious illness, hospitalization, and death from COVID. And we have a recent study out that just this week that shows that uh, healthcare workers who received two doses of Moderna or Pfizer vaccine were over 90% effect, uh, protected, even from getting uh, asymptomatic carriage. And so that's really, really great news. We still have a lot to learn about these vaccines, including how long protection will last, um, especially in light of, um, of, of newly circulating uh, variants. So we have guidance out now that, um, that tells people who have been vaccinated and who are protected from vaccine that they can do more. They can get out more. Um, they can visit family and relatives. Um, they can be around other individuals who have been vaccinated. And that um, guidance is going to continue to be updated to allow individuals who are vaccinated to do more and more, especially as we have this growing evidence that people who are vaccinated are really protected from um, both getting uh, sick as well as uh, getting having uh, carriage or transmitting disease asymptomatically. Um, but we also have to remain incredibly diligent and continue social distancing and mask wearing, especially. We need both methods of mitigation, both vaccine and um, keeping people um, uh, as as not getting big groups together as much as possible so that we can limit transmission in this time where vaccine coverage needs to increase to fight off um, those uh, spreading variants. Next slide. So safety of COVID vaccines is um, a top priority and FDA and CDC are closely monitoring vaccine uh, safety and side effects. Uh, we have now uh, uh, administered uh, millions and millions of vaccines, and um, we have several uh, analyses and reports that are either just out or about to come out that really demonstrate that we are not seeing increased risk of safety um, post-vaccination um, in recipients who received either um, any of these vaccines. We've also um, been monitoring closely use of these vaccines in pregnant women, and uh, we've presented some data uh, and more will be out in the very near future um, demonstrating that um, everything we know as of now is that these vaccines are safe um, in pregnant women. Um, next slide. VSAFE is a new CDC smartphone-based uh, monitoring program for COVID-19 vaccine safety. This is a web-based uh, text messaging service that checks in with people after they've been vaccinated um, and allows people to report side effects or health problems. And then they get a follow-up call from CDC. 
We were anticipating just a couple of million um, people would end up signing up for VSAFE. Um, however, this has been an incredibly um, popular program. We have um, tens of millions of people who are registered and reporting through VSAFE. Um, and it's been a really wonderful way for both people to uh, feel like they're being um, monitored after vaccination, as well as for CDC to get really good information about um, people's uh, side effects from vaccines. Next slide. Um, but vaccinating um, all of us, um, including um, people who are disproportionately impacted by COVID-19, um, younger adults who may not feel like they're as impacted by COVID-19, um, racial and ethnic minorities, essential workers, people working, living um, in the community and people working uh, for your businesses um, will need focus. Um, and we need to reduce bottlenecks in the system, increase places to vaccinate, and make sure that no person is left behind. So as we expand vaccination efforts, we have to continue to focus on equitable access, reducing barriers, and increasing engagement to build trust in, in communities. Um, in particular, we've discovered things, um, as many of you have heard, the technologic barriers uh, for many essential workers and uh, persons living in minority communities are, are, and rural communities are really hard to overcome. Uh, we've seen uh, problems with broadband access, so people can't get appointments to get vaccinated. We have transportation problems. Um, and so as we keep getting vaccine in more people's arms, we have to do more to get vaccine as close to people as possible. Um, and this really takes all of us working together, um, both uh, local and federal government, as well as businesses and communities. Next slide. Um, and this is just to demonstrate that, whereas at first we were really focused on a couple of administration sites, as we enter this next phase and, you know, um, the president has indicated that by May 1st, all individuals should be eligible for vaccine. And, and that's based off of projections that we'll have enough doses to vaccinate everybody in America by the end of May. Now the work lies in getting those doses in people's arms. And, and these are just, this just uh, illustrates how important it is used to use every available um, opportunity to vaccinate, including employee health services, which I realize um, in occupational health clinics, which is not on here, but um, will be a really important partner in the coming months. Next slide. Um, so employers who are considering implementing a workplace COVID vaccination program uh, should work with their health department in their jurisdiction for guidance. And we've heard a lot of feedback from employers over the last several weeks that they reached out to their health department, they didn't get a response, or they were told that there was nothing uh, to do right now. Um, I really encourage people to go back to their health department, either their local or state health department. I think a lot of people, um, the health departments were overwhelmed in January and February, and um, now people are starting to see that there's enough supply to start expanding where vaccine doses are going, and they're starting to plan out for April and May. And so I encourage you, even if you've gotten um, limited responses before, to, 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 to reach out again. The planning process should include uh, input from management, human resources, um, and labor representatives as appropriate. And um, other important preliminary steps include obtaining senior management report, um, identifying a vaccine coordinator for your business, and enlisting expertise from local health, public health authorities, uh, occupational health providers, 
um, and pharmacies. A lot of businesses can um, can uh, set up vaccination uh, clinics for their employees through um, public health pop-up clinics or through pharmacy clinics. Pharmacies are doing uh, mobile clinics and, and you can work with your local pharmacy to identify opportunities for that. Um, employers, uh, uh, the vaccine is free of charge to everyone. Um, and so um, employers should not be charging for the vaccine. And uh, if possible, they should be given during working hours or offer flexible paid leave policies for those workers that may experience um, post-vaccination symptoms. Or if you're sending employers to a employees to a pharmacy, um, giving them, letting them do that during their working um, time. Those are really good steps towards getting uh, your workforce uh, vaccinated. Um, next slide. So if your business can't offer COVID-19 vaccines on site, encourage employees to seek COVID-19 vaccination in their community and provide them with information about where they can get the vaccine. Uh, be flexible in your human resources policies and establish policies that allow them to take leave. Anything you can do to support transportation to off-site vaccination clinics would be great. Um, we do have um, promotional flyers and posters to advertise uh, locations offering vaccination in your community. Um, and we recommend displaying this in break rooms and cafeterias and other uh, traffic areas. I know many of you have um, employees who are working from home. Um, so, so this would be sending people out uh, information through um, your um, uh, through emails and other ways that you're communicating with the office staff. Um, you can also post articles in company communications about the importance of getting vaccinated and where to get the vaccine. Um, we actually just pulled together all the resources in Georgia um, and are sending it out to all of our staff at CDC. Um, although, you know, we do anticipate being able to vaccinate some CDC staff at, at CDC, uh, we want to make sure our employers, family members, and other people um, around them um, know everywhere they can get vaccinated. And so we put together like a tips for people um, who are working on the vaccine effort uh, to get vaccinated. Next slide. Um, so employers are also a really important trusted messenger and voice around vaccination. Um, so um, we encourage you to uh, prepare for vaccine uh, conversations. Um, choose to get vaccinated yourself, uh, which demonstrates to your employees that you believe in this vaccine um, and you're getting vaccinated um, and you had a positive experience getting vaccinated. Um, engage in effective conversations. If your employees have questions or concerns about vaccination, um, start from a place of empathy and understanding and address this information by sharing um, key facts. And you can be prepared for questions by, by sharing CDC resources and toolkits. Next slide. And these are some links um, which we will uh, hopefully get out to you um, after the call. Um, we do have a lot of tools for um, em employers, for essential workers, for healthcare professionals, um, and for just the general community around getting vaccinated, including Q's and A's, what to expect after you get vaccinating, talking about how you may feel um, febrile or you may have um, fatigue or headaches or soreness um, for a day or two after getting vaccinated and to help people anticipate that that's okay and an expected uh, side effect from the vaccine. Next slide. So, in, look, in closing, um, as we increase vaccine supply in the coming weeks, 
Um, we anticipate being able to administer vaccine in, in multiple sites, including schools, churches, community centers, and um, in the workplace. And we encourage you as, as businesses that support the community to also find opportunities to support these community-based uh, vaccination sites. Send um, employees or, or, or talk to your employees about being volunteers at some of these clinics or, or sponsor a day where you serve lunch to uh, one of these vaccination clinics or something like that, just to show support in the community and to share with your employees that you um, trust and you support the vaccination effort. It's essential that people have access and trust that these vaccines are safe and effective. And confidence in the vaccination program is key. Um, and, and you, as employers, uh, really serve a key role, as well as healthcare providers and community leaders in supporting the vaccination effort. Um, reaching every uh, individual is an important and ambitious goal, and uh, one that we really need um, all of your support uh, by working together to achieve. Next slide. And um, thank you for the opportunity uh, to speak to you today. And um, I look forward to answering your questions. Thank you so much, Dr. Cohn. I'm going to uh, be sort of helping you through our Q&A box today. We've got a number of our members who've asked. I'm Callie Boatwright. I'm the president and CEO of the Greater Norfolk Chamber. And just want to help um, see if we can answer some of these questions. Of course, there are folks who are, are um, lining up to ask. So I'm just going to start at the top here. Um, let's see. First question. Uh, what are the CDC's objective criteria for easing distancing and mask requirements? Um, so our criteria for easing distancing and mask requirements in vaccinated persons um, is based off of expanding evidence around um, uh, prevention of carriage and the ability for people who are vaccinated to be able to transmit the vaccine to others. Um, we are focusing on um, uh, easing and mask requirements um, to be in limited uh, spaces right now. Um, so really, I don't anticipate that social distancing or mask requirements, even for vaccinated persons, will uh, be reduced in, in large settings like in airports and in public spaces. Um, but we do want people to um, get back to normal. And so we have a stepwise progression and we're kind of going down that stepwise progression and increasingly um, uh, uh, providing guidance around having vaccinated people be able to do more. Um, for example, the kinds of things we're talking about next are eating inside restaurants and going to the gym and getting your hair done. Um, and um, for um, and as we keep going down um, that those steps, and we continue to see hopefully transmission and cases and vaccination vaccinated people. Uh, stay very low, that will give us sort of the ability to go down to that next step. I would say the end step is um, is, is really that broad, you know, big public um, uh, events. Um, and I don't anticipate uh, reducing mask use at those um, for quite some time. Although I, I am hopeful that uh, over the coming months, we'll be able to re-engage in those types of events um, with mask use. Thank you very much. Uh, the next question, what trends have been noticed from the submissions on the VSAFE, your app? Um, so uh, the trends have been um, 
really what we anticipated on VSAFE. Um, and, and I don't have the, um, the, the full analysis uh, available right now, but in general, and it's being looked at really closely, in general, people have symptoms uh, for uh, up to 48, sometimes 72 hours after vaccination. We're not um, getting um, as many, you know, people are not reporting symptoms or, or health concerns um, in the weeks or months after. It starts out by asking you about symptoms every day for a week and then moves to weeks um, and then months. Um, and so we, we anticipate following people uh, for, I think, up to a year. Um, but it goes to like every month at some point. Um, so um, we have a lot of data from those first weeks. And it is um, what we'd anticipate, low grade or, or mild fevers, fatigue, people with chills, headaches, um, but um, almost entirely self-resolving and sometimes requiring um, a day off of work. But um, at this point, very few need for medical encounters, which is what we're really concerned about. Um, there will be um, a, a more complete analysis and people are getting phone call follow-ups, which is taking some time when they do report um, the need for uh, to see a medical provider about their symptoms. Very good. Very good. And of course, we're still on the very front end of all of this. So I certainly understand that. Um, Are there, in fact, any studies that show the percent of COVID-19 positive people that were asymptomatic? Is there any type of idea of what that percentage might be? So I think I'm not sure if the individuals asking about in vaccinated people or in unvaccinated people, um, but in vaccinated people, we're, um, we we have a, a recent study that shows that the vaccine was um, highly effective at preventing asymptomatic infection. And so I, I don't remember the percentage, but it was incredibly low among vaccinated people. We're also doing weekly swab studies um, among um uh, in places like healthcare settings and long-term care facilities. And we certainly, um, especially in unvaccinated individuals over time, have seen, and, and there's a couple of other studies in, the, in community and household settings, where we do have um, a proportion of, of, of COVID-positive people who do not have symptoms. Um, that sort of changes depending on the setting and um, can be up towards 30%, is frequently less than 10%. It sort of depends on the setting and the level of community transmission at the time of the study. Okay, so it will vary, obviously, depending on what community you might be in. Right. Very good. I know it's hard with asymptomatic, too, because obviously not everybody knows. Um, uh, Here's a question. I had this asked of me the other day. If the vaccine is free, why was I asked for my proof of insurance when I went to the clinic? This is a um, great question, one that I kind of meant to clarify in the talk and I didn't. So vaccine is free of charge to individuals. The vaccine itself is no cost and paid for by the government. That was all purchased, pre-purchased. The administration fees, um, healthcare providers, including public health, can bill uh, insurance companies for the administration fee. So if you do have insurance, Um, insurance companies are reimbursing for providing the shot. However, and it should be zero copay. However, if you don't have insurance, um, providers are required to still give you the vaccine free of charge. There is what they call a COVID um, provider, uninsured provider fund, which providers can submit for reimbursement to HRSA. Um, that's meant for people who are both treating uninsured individuals for COVID as well as vaccinating. Um, but but 
individuals should never be spending any money on their vaccine. And I have heard about some scams um, and, and, and especially trying to get older people to, you know, pay early for vaccine or something like that. And hopefully that's all died down. Um, but um, they may take your insurance, but that's not if you don't have insurance prevents you from getting vaccinated. Got it. Thank you. Is there anything different in the Moderna or Pfizer first dose of the vaccine relative to the second dose of the vaccine, or are they the exact same shot done a few weeks apart? Some people are curious if the second dose is different, and that's why the side effects are more prevalent. Yeah, so it's the exact same shot. Um, you could be getting, you know, they could drop a dose from the same vial and give a first dose to somebody and a second dose to the next person. Um the reason why you get more symptoms after the second dose is because it's um, a boost to your immune system. So um, the purpose, and we, and we give like babies shots, like two months apart frequently for the same reason. So, you know, your immune system responds to the vaccine, it goes up and up, and then it starts to sort of um, come a little bit down at that three to four weeks. But then that second dose makes it go up even higher. And that's what really gets you those high levels of antibody protection. And so um, when your body develops an immune response, you have symptoms. And so that's why your second dose has frequently um, people are reporting worse symptoms. I actually didn't have worse symptoms. I actually felt better after the second dose, but many people are reporting worse symptoms. This is also the case for people who have a history of having COVID. They are also, and we haven't studied this um, to, to understand the proportion, but people are also reporting increased symptoms if they had COVID in the past. And it's for the same reason. They already have antibodies. So they're getting a more robust immune response, which is causing more side effects, um, but is actually a good thing. It's, it means that your body is really producing um, a, you know, a high degree of protection. So your body is actually fighting the second one because it's developed some of those antibodies. That makes sense. Um, if someone already has had COVID and they get the first shot, does that, you said that acts somewhat as a booster. Is there any thought given to the fact that those who've had COVID maybe only need one shot? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of work around that right now. Um, we haven't, um, uh, and you know, I have also, you know, encouraged, you know, I think as the J&J vaccine becomes more available, I think the J&J vaccine is, you know, a, a great option um, for people who have had um, COVID because, you know, getting one dose and being fully protected is fabulous, really, um, for a lot of different groups. Um, we won't be able to recommend that uh, people who previously had COVID only get one dose of the mRNA vaccines until we have done some more complete studies um, to make sure that you do have the same immune response. And, and some of those studies are ongoing, but um, we really will rely on FDA. Um, as this is an uh, emergency use authorization, we really um, focus on the way that FDA told us to give the vaccine, um, and we don't recommend giving it differently at this time. Understood. Thank you. All right. So a couple more questions. You're doing great. Sorry, I know we're barraging you here. So many people are concerned about fertility questions for younger women getting the vaccine. I've heard from several medical professionals that messenger RNA, which is in Pfizer and Moderna, cannot affect future pregnancies because it is not DNA. Could you expand on this? And for me, in a way that I could understand, and how can this info get out and uh, get rid of the misinformation? Yeah, this is a really unfortunate piece of misinformation that is absolutely not true. And, and now we've vaccinated 
tens of millions of, of, of women and have had no reports of infertility um, after vaccination, which is some real life evidence. We also had women who got pregnant in the clinical trials with no problem. But let me explain the biologic reason why um, this is such misinformation. So these are messenger RNA vaccines. They do not go into the nucleus of your cells. So your DNA is in your nucleus. Um, the RNA is really just an instruction to produce a protein. Um, and this happens in, in the cytoplasm outside the nucleus, but inside the cell. Um, so this cannot get into the nucleus. Um, additionally, the vaccine is given in your arm. And the whole reaction to the vaccine happens in your arm and in lymph nodes um, in your arm, which is why some people will have soreness um, in their armpit after vaccination. Um, very, very little of this vaccine will be able to get into your bloodstream. And they've done studies to show that the vaccine is eliminated within 48 hours um, from your body. It's the reaction is happening locally, not, you know, I know you feel it systemically because those cytokine, the, the inflammatory responses felt systemically, but nothing's getting, um, very little is, is getting out of um, the local area where you got the vaccine. Thirdly, um, you are getting the identical protein um, as um, what the spike protein that is on the vaccine that the mRNA is making is in COVID. So we've had tens of millions of women who have had COVID and there's been no secondary impact on fertility. And so it doesn't make biologic sense that the vaccine would cause infertility without the disease itself causing fertility. And so those are the three sort of hopefully more explainable reasons why I give for there being, um, besides the fact that there's no evidence uh, to support this claim at all, um, it, it's really biologically implausible uh, for, for these vaccines to, um, to cause infertility. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think we all fear what we don't know. And so that's helpful when we hear. Totally. <laughs> all right. My last question in the chat box, and I know you are off to get your children um, vaccinated, which I totally understand. Can business, and this is a doozy for all these businesses who are on the call with us, can businesses require their employees to take the vaccination? Is it legal? Yes, it is legal. Um, and um, this was misinterpreted. There is language in the FDA emergency use authorization saying that a person has the ability to refuse the vaccine. Um, they, um, this was interpreted to mean that the federal government absolutely cannot mandate this vaccine be taken. Um, local governments and businesses, however, can require uh, their employees uh, be vaccinated. However, I would encourage businesses to not require um, their employees to get vaccinated, especially at this time. I, um, in many ways, that can backfire and produce more mistrust and can um, make people more um, uncomfortable getting vaccinated. And we really um, want to be able to um, identify um, what people's concerns are and address those concerns. What I can tell you is that um, I believe, and this is pretty public, um, there's a lot of talk about digital passports and um, people having documentation of their vaccine as, as the world opens up. And I believe that businesses over the summer, for example, will start to require proof of vaccination to go to a concert, to travel. You know, there will be all sorts of different types of businesses 
where having um, proof of vaccination um, will be important for those who are eligible to get vaccinated. And so in many ways, I think that for those who are on the fence or really, you know, refuse or not wanting to get vaccinated, I think that will be sort of a social, um, you know, social, social reason for people to get vaccinated. And I would encourage businesses to hold off on mandating. Um, If you are concerned about a COVID outbreak in your business, which which there are many businesses um, where people are in crowded places and their employees really are at risk. That's a different situation and and may you know either require vaccination or proof of disease. And if those individuals haven't been vaccinated, you may want to shift what they're doing. Um, but while it is legal um, at, at this time, there's not a huge um, there's not huge. Um, support for mandating vaccines locally. I do think colleges and um, will start to mandate it or will make it a, a school requirement for, for universities um, in the fall, which will be another sort of, I think over the next year, this will change. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Dr. Cohn. And I'll just say that I am one shot in and very glad that I did with no side effects. So thank Great. you for all you're doing. I'm going to turn it back to Lindsay Petrini. Lindsay, thank you for allowing me to get some questions out there. No problem. Thank you you so much, Dr. Cohn, for your time and for all the work that you're doing. We really appreciate it. I am two shots in. I will encourage everybody to to do it. It is um, well worth it. So thank you for your time, Dr. Cohn. Uh, At this time, I'd like to take a moment to recognize all the sponsors um, that have supported this luncheon today, Um, starting with Wellstar Health System. Our uh, president and CEO could not be here today, uh, John Paul Krim. So I I will just, on behalf of Wellstar, um, just say that we as a health system, as a hospital, are here to serve our community, to be part of our community. And we're just um, so thankful to be that you put your trust in us um, to take care of you when you need us. We are here and um, not just um, from a standpoint of community and patients, but with businesses, and we're just glad to be a part of the community. So thank you. Thank you to Callie for letting us uh, sponsor. Um, And next sponsor is the Honorable Mayor Jim Gilvin with the City of Alpharetta. So I'd like to pass that over to Jim for comments. Thanks, Lindsay. And and I'd just like to thank Dr. Cohn for straightening out some of the misinformation that's out there and bringing us all up to speed on, you know, the vaccination process. You know, it's been a tough year for all of us as we've adjusted to the new environment of the COVID and everything. But, you know, we're very fortunate to have great people like the people on this call and Dr. Cohn that have pulled together and gotten us through, especially in North Fulton. Alpharetta in North Fulton has certainly fared better than most here in the metro Atlanta area. And it's Thanks to the great work of the North Fulton Chamber in communicating and getting information out there and sponsors like Wellstar that make events like this possible so we can all get updates, get back to our employees and our families and make sure we're making smart decisions based on the latest information. So I just appreciate the opportunity to be part of this and to help support all of you. And and I'll just say that if there are any organizations or individuals in the city of Alpharetta that have questions about the vaccine or having issues, would like to organize perhaps vaccination sites, please reach out to me directly. I'll be glad to help coordinate with you and the appropriate people. Thank you, Mayor. We're so grateful to the city of Alpharetta and their uh, support of the chamber. 
next, we will get, uh, hear remarks from our second gold sponsor, which is Logic Speak. And I'd like to ask Kevin Robb to say a few words. Kevin. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, just on behalf of Logic Speak, I'd like to echo what Mayor Gilvin said. We're very appreciative of the chamber for putting this together and for Wellstar and for Dr. Cohn for sh sharing her uh, insight into the, the vaccine and, and where we're coming uh, in that regard. Just a little bit about who we are. Uh, Logic Speak is a managed service provider, an MSP. Uh, we take the stress out of technology. Uh, essentially, we provide IT services and strategy to help businesses achieve their vision. Um, our network design allows you to anticipate growth so that your IT isn't a stumbling block, but more of a strategic advantage. From cloud services to server design, uh, from cybersecurity to data storage, we're here to put it all together and make sure that IT works for you. So don't hesitate to reach out if you have uh, any questions regarding your IT setup or if you're ready to make a change regarding IT. And again, thanks for having us as a sponsor today and uh, really enjoyed this presentation. Right. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you so much, Kevin. We, we appreciate you. Would also like to give a shout out to our uh, media sponsor, as always, John Ray with uh, North Fulton Business Radio X. Um, and I will now turn the program over to Callie Boatwright, President and CEO of the Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce for closing comments. Callie. Thank you, Lindsay. I appreciate it very much. As we conclude today's event, I want to express how grateful we are to the CDC, to Dr. Cohn, and to Michelle Wilson for bringing us the most up-to-date information. Things have really been changing rapidly, and I know we're all feeling that in our own lives, so we're extremely appreciative of getting the most current information in this report. The Chamber would not be able to offer great programs like this without our sponsors. So I once again want to thank Wellstar North Fulton Hospital, um, Mayor Gilvin in the city of Alpharetta, and of course, Kevin, thank you and Logic Speak very much as well for your tremendous support. Also, John Ray, thank you. This will be available later to everyone uh, through our Business Radio X as media sponsor. We have a lot of upcoming events at the Chamber, and we hope you will be able to join us. Um, on April 15th, we've got two big happenings. One will be the AT&T Small Business Success Series Seminar, which is focusing on HR hot topics, some of which we kind of addressed today. Um, and that will allow you to get SHRM, cre SHRM credits um, through that uh, seminar. It is available virtual. Um, also on April 15th, we will have our Georgia Office Interiors Business After Hours at the Computer Museum of America. And so we're very excited about that day. On April 27th, we will have our Wellstar Chamber Luncheon, our next luncheon in the series, uh, which is our legislative update. And that is the first 90 days post-election, we'll be featuring Sam Olins and Theron Johnson for sort of a he said, she said on the uh, conservative and liberal side. So it'll be very exciting and interesting to hear where we land. To register, of course, for any of our Chamber's events, please go to gnfcc.com. I hope you all have a wonderful afternoon and we stand adjourned. Thank you.